your Bibles, we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 18. We've been talking the last few weeks uh, about the gift of repentance. And two more, two more weeks of this. So this is the third one. Do your math. Second Kings chapter 22, verse 18. says, But to the king of Judah which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me. I have also heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered unto thy grave in peace. And thine eyes shall not see the, all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king the word again. Right, let's all pray together one more time. Jesus, hallelujah. God, I thank you for your presence. God, I stepped into this place. God, I thank you for your anointing that's here. God, I pray in your name, Jesus, you would speak to us this morning. God, anoint our ears to hear your word. God, I anoint God, my mouth to say what you want me to say. God, don't let me get in the way of what you want to do. God, I pray in your name. God, you would challenge us. God, speak to us, I pray. God, let your, your spirit, God, continue to move. In Jesus' name, God, bring us God, to a place of repentance. In Jesus' name, God, do a work in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated if you want. Amen. They were in the middle of a restoration project. It had begun. Um, the building they were working on was old. It used to be a beautiful thing, but over time it had run down a bit. It wasn't being looked after as well as it should have. You've all seen buildings that haven't been looked after well. They fall apart, right? You drive by Windsor, as that old brick factory falling apart. Apparently they're gonna redo it, so that's good. But you see a building that's you know falling down it's generally because it hasn't been maintained. It's pretty pretty simple. But this building used to be beautiful, but it was run down, hadn't been looked after. It was hard to believe, looking at it, that people had come from all over the world to see it. It used to be a wonder of the world. One queen had come and she fainted because it was so beautiful. It, was a, it used to be a wonderful building. When it was dedicated, there was such a presence of God, they had to stop the ceremony over and over because God was moving in so strong they couldn't do their their rituals they couldn't they couldn't minister the way they they expected to because god was moving so strong but it wasn't like that anymore the northern kingdom israel they had been captured by the assyrians they came in and they they took everything they took everything that was sacred and precious holy um, worth anything anything of any value they came in and they took it all and it was prophesied by god that this would happen because Israel was constantly backsliding. If you read through the Old Testament, that's what they did. They would, they would serve God, and then they would, you know, things would be going good. And they're like, you know what, we don't need them anymore. Get in a mess and start serving all the idols around. And God would bring them back, and then they would do it again, over and over. 
<coughs> after the kingdom was divided, um, after Solomon's death, sorry, the kingdom was divided. And in Israel, the northern kingdom, they had no good kings. They had no righteous kings, no kings that followed God, no kings that served him or tried to do the right thing. For 250 years, they have lived in sin. They lived in evil and downright nasty, not niceness. God gave them lots of chances to return to him. God gave them lots of opportunities, gave them men of God to speak and prophesy. But they neglected, they neglected God, they neglected his word, and they neglected his house. And the same thing was supposed to happen in Judah. The only difference between Israel and Judah was that Judah had had a couple of godly leaders. And one of these, one of these men was named Josiah. Josiah became king when he was eight years old. He had a heart for God, not like his, his father. So the Bible says, unlike his father, he had a heart for God. And when he was 19, he decided he was going to take a tour of his country and see everything, um, see what was going on, see what he can work with, see what he can, you know, fix or whatever. And while he was doing that, he saw um, the people of Judah. He saw them worshiping idols. He saw them sacrificing on the idols. He saw them doing all these things that he knew in his heart were wrong. All kinds of evil things. And something snapped in Josiah. And he's like, you know, this is wrong. We have to stop doing this. And he just started tearing down all these things. He started tearing down these idols. He started tearing down the places where they would worship these, these other gods. He started tearing all these things down. They even dug up bones of old um, priests that people have worshipped. And they burned them. They just He just went all out. He just got rid of everything that had anything to do with idol worship. And when he was 25, he made an announcement. He said, it's not enough just to destroy all these things. It's not enough just to get rid of all these idols and tear down these, these places where people worship. It's not enough to do that. Um, the slate had been wiped clean, but there was still more to do. The temple was in bad shape. The temple needed to be repaired. The temple was broken down because nobody cared. Nobody had been serving God for Hundreds of years, nobody had been worshiping there. They're doing it everywhere else. And so he decided he was going to rebuild it and fix it. But the, the temple being as it was, you know, worn down, a mess. It was a reflection of what was going on in the hearts of the people of Judah. And as our hearts go, so goes the house of God. When we don't care about um, things of God, the church suffers. Giving suffers. People don't um, come as regularly as they did. They don't give their time. They don't help as much as they, they used to. But when we care, we, we do that. Um, so when Josiah was cleaning out the temple, they found a scroll. Um, I don't know if you ever cleaned out an old building, but you find things that you didn't know. I cleaned out a room upstairs and found songbooks that I never knew existed. I've never heard of them. I've never seen any other church use them. I don't know. You guys obviously used them at one point. They're blue. I don't know if anyone remembers. A couple people. I've never seen them. But if you if you get a house, you know, you buy an old house, you clean it out, you're gonna find some things. You find, you know, a barn, you clean it out, you're gonna find some things. That's the way it is. 
But so they're cleaning out the temple and they found they found a, a scroll and they brought it to the chief priest named Hilkiah and he gave it to Saphan who was a scribe and they found out that this was the Torah, the word of God. The first five books of the Old Testament were just tucked away back somewhere in a room. They hadn't read it in hundreds of years. They hadn't looked at it. They didn't know, you know, Josiah was just going by what he felt. He didn't really know. And it was the forgotten word of God, and he was excited to find it. He knew that it was important, so immediately Josiah got, it, got them to read it. And as they read it, he became convicted of the things that he was doing wrong, the things that were wrong in his kingdom, the things that were wrong in his own life. He knew that he was doing things wrong. And the word of God brings conviction. That's why some people don't like to read it. That's why some people don't like to hear it, because it will convict us. It doesn't want us to stay the same. So Josiah felt convicted and he prayed and he asked God what the, the judgment was going to be because he knew they had been living wrong all these years. He knew they were doing the wrong things. He knew they were, they were in a mess and he, he prays and he asks God what is going to happen. And the priest comes with a word from God and he says there's going to be destruction because you've been Judah's been disobedient for so long. They worship other gods for so long. But he gave a message to Josiah personally. Because God is a personal God. In the middle of everything, there's still a word for Josiah personally. And he says, in verse 19 that we read, he said, Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. You tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, save the Lord. Surely... Therefore, I will gather you unto your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the calamity which I shall bring upon this place. That's the word that God spoke to Josiah personally. Because Josiah's heart was tender. Josiah had a heart for God. He wanted to do the right thing. And that's the most important thing. If you want to live for God, you need to have a heart for God. David you know, was a man after God's own heart. He messed up huge, huge things. Things that most of us have never done, he did. But he still made it because he had a heart for God. If your heart is for God, no matter what happens, you'll find your way back. So Josiah, um, he, had, he had a heart for God. And God said, I'm gonna, still going to do all these things. I'm still going to destroy Judah. I'm still going to, you know, all these things that I prophesied. But because of your repentance, because you turned to me, because you, you have a heart after me, I'm going to wait until, you know, until you die. You're not going to see it. You're going to live um, blessed. Um, the most basic definition of sin is just disobedience to God's word. And Judah, as a nation, did this for, year. they, for years. They disobeyed God. They abused um, their position with, with God. They misused it. They neglected the temple. And all this time, they were building up a reproach. If they hadn't discovered the Torah, and they hadn't responded properly, humbly, and immediately, Judah would have been punished sooner. But because they repented, it didn't happen. Because Josiah's heart was right, he changed the heart of God. Because Josiah's had a heart after God, and he came to God humbly, and he came to God properly, God changed what he was going to do. And a whole generation was spared. 
There's not a lot of difference between Josiah's story and ours. I mean, you know, things are different. But the sin of our flesh is still rebellion and disobedience against God. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 11 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. With the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Romans 8 and 7 says that our, car- our carnal mind, or just our natural mind, the way we do things, the way we think, the way we you know, go about our business, is the enemy of God. The way we naturally do things is wrong, which is pretty serious. Who wants to be God's enemy? So the only option to change God's heart like Josiah did is through repentance. And God will forgive us. Repentance changes our heart and our actions towards God. And repentance changes God's heart and actions towards us. We repent. You know, we, we, you know, you turn around. Repentance is, you know, a turning from, from one thing and going to another. We repent. We return, we return towards God. I'm sorry I'm stuttering so much. We turn towards God. And God changes his attitude towards us. He forgives us. He gives us his grace. He gives us his mercy. The gift of God contained within repentance is that God, who is all-powerful, has um, given us the ability to change his attitude towards him through repentance, through the gift of repentance. Does that make sense? The first thing we learn in Scripture about God is that He is a moving God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says, And the earth was out form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. The first thing God did was move. God is a a God of action. The Bible um, describes acts of aggression that God did in the Old Testament to try to turn His people to turn cities and nations around and turn them back to him. Um, God doesn't mind, I don't know, God doesn't mind um, inflicting temporary pain if the end result is a change of heart. Does that mean? God doesn't mind, you know, allowing something to happen that's temporary that's going to turn, change our heart permanently. Does that make sense? I'm not saying he's a harsh God or whatever, but, you know, with same with your kids. You know, you want them to learn a lesson. Sometimes you may have to inflict a little pain that's temporary that's going to protect them in the long run. It's going to make a difference in the long run. It's the same with God. <clears throat> he doesn't mind doing that if it's going to affect you for eternity. Some people only seem to learn that way. Me? I do. <laughs> Some of us, we, we, we're stubborn, right? And we only, that seems to be the only way. I know a guy, uh, <laughs> he was, his mother got remarried, he was having problems with his stepfather, you know, the sort of thing, and they just got in a fight one day, and after that, he respected him. And he was one of those guys that he only learned that way. He just would push and push until somebody pushed back and then he would, okay, maybe I should stop. Maybe, that's the only way it worked with him, which is crazy, but some of us, that's the only way that we learn. That's how, I don't know. If we could learn easier, it would be better, I think. 
Sometimes things have to happen to, to shake us, to wake us up. Same with the, you know, the story with the shepherd carrying the sheep. It's because that sheep was wandering away. And the only way that sheep would learn was to have his legs incapacitated and carried. Psalm chapter 30 and 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. For his anger endureth for a moment, but his favor is life. God may get upset with us. You know, when we sin, he gets mad, right? Because we're disobeying. But it's only for a moment. If we repent, we come to him. His favor is for a lifetime. God drove Adam and Eve from the, the Garden of Eden with an angel um, and a sword. He flung fire and brimstone at Sodom and Gomorrah as a judgment for their sin, but he's also as a warning to the rest of humanity to repent and turn from their sin. He was willing to do these things to shake up everybody else, to turn them to you. He sent a violent storm in the Mediterranean to arrest a backslidden preacher asleep on a boat named Jonah. He startled Saul of Tarsus with a brilliant light. He knocked him to the ground and struck him with blindness. This guy was pretty arrogant. He was bruised and he was broken. He was blinded and bent and he was led by the hand to Damascus. It's the only way to get Saul's attention was to knock him off that horse and blind him. Sometimes that's the only way that God has to get our attention. Sometimes things happen in our lives to get our attention. Some of us are more stubborn than others and perhaps it takes more action from God to get through to some than to others. Hosea, um, the book of Hosea, he used metaphors um, to describe God's action towards the backslidden um, Israel. He, as he was calling them to repentance. He said in Hosea chapter 5, verse 12, he said that God would be like a moth. And then verse 14, he said that he would come like a lion. In Hosea 8 and 1, he approached his people as an eagle. So God will come with us in different ways to get our attention, different ways to turn us to him. He started as a, as a gentle moth, but then you know, it wasn't working, so he had to come as a lion or as, as an eagle. God always is trying to get our attention. He's trying to move on us. He's trying to draw us closer to him. And he's willing to do whatever it takes. Repentance shouldn't be um, minimized or glossed over or rushed through. Repentance is a, is a type of death spiritually as we die to our old ways and we turn to a new life. It's a, it's a type of death and sometimes it takes a while to die. Some people, sometimes people take a long time to die. Some people, it's instantly. I don't know. I'm not trying to be. Anyways, that's the way it is. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's fast. But if if a spiritual death is not complete, then the new man, a new person in Christ, cannot fully rise from the watery grave of baptism. Right? So if you want to be baptized, you need to repent completely in order to be brought back into a new life. Because if you're not, you're just going to come up a wet sinner. <laughs> right? You can't rise without dying. You can't rise from the dead without dying to the sin. There's an old song that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We all want the good things, but we don't want to go through what we have to go through to get them. Heaven sounds great. Heaven sounds amazing, but dying does not. 
Living for Jesus sounds great, but repenting sometimes does not. Being baptized sometimes can be a little scary. But you need to go through that to get to where you need to go. We all want the benefits without the price, but we need, we need to be willing to die, to repent, to rise, to wash clean and be filled with the Holy Ghost and all that. Everything starts with repentance. We shouldn't be in a hurry to rush um, the rush people to be baptized until repentance is completely done. We need to make sure that we've repented. Sometimes, you know, repentance can you know, happen in a moment. It doesn't have to take long. Sometimes it does. You know, there's stories about people that it's a mess and they would come and they would pray, God, move on them. You're praying for hours and hours and hours and then, you know, it took that long to get everything off their chest sometimes. Sometimes it's quicker. You know, as a, as a child, you haven't done as many things. Right? When I was nine, I got the Holy Ghost. You know, I didn't have as many <laughs> things to repent of. Anyways, you know what I'm saying? Some, and sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow. It all depends on what's going on. And repentance can be probably better understood as a journey. <clears throat> In Saul's case, there's a, there's a lot of scriptural evidence to support the idea that God had been working with him for some time. You know, when God starts calling us, you know, we're not living for him. You know, sometimes you can look back and see where God's been working the whole time. This maybe something happened when you were a kid. You came to Sunday school, and then you stopped coming, and then you know, this other thing happened. And you came to an event, and you, you know, and God's been working and working, and then finally gets you to the place of repentance. That's kind of what happened with with Saul. Um, Barnabas wasn't was from a place that wasn't too far from where Saul was from, and maybe they had met before, and that would explain why he was so eager to take him under his wing and show him to the church and, after he was rejected. Um, when Stephen was stoned, they laid their coats at Saul's feet, and Saul never forgot um, Stephen's face as that was going on. Acts chapter 6, verse 15, and Acts chapter 7, verse 57 to 60, he talks about that. And we have the testimony of Jesus who told Saul that he had been kicking against the pricks for um, quite some time. He'd been fighting it for quite some time. God had been moving on Saul for a while before he finally brought him to repentance. And finally, God let Saul repent in blindness, brokenness, and humility for three days before he sent Ananias to baptize Saul and pray that he may receive the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 9. Sometimes it takes a while. And God is, God is working. It may not look like it, but it is. You know, we've been praying for family members. Sometimes it takes a while. And I know it can get frustrating praying for the same people over and over. And it doesn't look like anything's happening. It doesn't look like anything's Changing. Sometimes it, it takes years and months before somebody comes to repentance. I got a guy, I know Tim, his family prayed for him for 18 years before he came to God. You know, maybe he wasn't ready those 17 years before. Maybe, you know, he wasn't in that place. And when that eight, you know, he finally came after 18 years. And he's like, he's in the church, he's solid, he's a prayer warrior, he's an intercessor, he's involved. And it took 18 years to get him to that place. We can't get frustrated when things aren't happening as fast as we want them to. 18 years is a long time to pray for someone. But it was worth it. You know, we can ask his family, do you regret praying all those years? And they, 
would tell you no. <laughs> For 18 years, they never stopped praying, they never stopped fasting, they never stopped believing, and God was working. And in His time, in the right moment, everything fell into place. That's how God works. One man was trapped in, was caught in a trap of sin. He engaged in a sin for several months, living a life of deceit around those who loved him. When he was confronted by someone he respected, he denied any involvement in the sin. Months later, he faced the reality of his, of his transgression, and his world caved in because of shame and disgrace. And after remaining um, in hiding for several months, he tried to process how he arrived at such a, a place, and he found it difficult to break free from the spell that sin had cast on him. He came to the conclusion that the only way to break the stronghold up in his flesh was to go on a fast. On the eighth day of his fast, it finally broke, and healing and restoration took place. And today he is profitable in the kingdom of God. Sometimes it happens like that. But when God finally sets us free, we're free. Indeed. You know, Tim, it took 18 years of his family praying, 18 years of inviting them every Sunday, you know, come with us. 18 years of, of dramas and plays at the church for the kids. 18 years of that before it happened. But it finally did. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and 10 says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. Repentance cannot and should not be casually approached. We should wait for the conviction of God. We should allow God's conviction to produce sorrow that induces brokenness within us. We can't force somebody to repent. But God has to work. God has to, to move. Godly sorrow work with repentance to salvation. If you want God to move, you have to allow him. We can't force, you can't, we had a, <laughs> a Sunday school teacher growing up in youth. And sometimes, as teenagers, we wouldn't listen, which you can probably imagine. We would act up a bit. And she would get so mad, and she would yell at us and scream. We'd be like, you know, you all need to hit the floor and repent. And she would make us turn around and pray and repent. And it never worked, because none of us meant it. God wasn't moving on our hearts to have us to repent. Somebody was trying to force us to repent, and it never worked. And it frustrated her. We thought it was funny. I know we're bad people. But that's what happened. You can't force somebody to repent. You can't make somebody repent. It has to be God working on them. God's the one that brings us to repentance. Acts chapter 13, 19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> If repentance isn't sincere or heartfelt or complete, it's not going to bear fruit. Nothing's going to happen. And when a Sunday school teacher makes you repent because you're talking in class and you don't mean it, next week you're going to be talking in class. Right? You know, if you repent because you get caught, not because God's moving on your heart, not because you actually feel conviction, you know, it's not going to make a change. John the Baptist declared that the evidence... Of the Pharisees' change of heart would be the fruit that showed their repentance. In Luke chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God 
is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. The Pharisees thought because they were, you know, sons of Abraham that they were special. And they wouldn't, they weren't actually changing. And John said, you need to repent and show it. And God can raise up these stones to be sons of Abraham if he wants to. You're not that big a deal, so sit down. <laughs> Basically. True repentance is an immediate change of attitude and behavior. When you actually truly repent, you change the way you do things. <clears throat> you know, with my kids, they would say, you know, they get caught doing something. And they say, sorry. And then you say, no, you're not. Because if you were, you would stop doing it. Right? Has anyone ever said that? Has anyone ever said to them? Right? So if we repent and you keep doing the same thing, then you're not repenting. Right? Repentance brings forth an immediate change in our lives. The fruit of repentance. You should see the difference. No sooner had Jesus called Zacchaeus down from the tree than Zacchaeus began the process of fully restoring the money he had cheated his clients out of as their tax collector. Zacchaeus, it was instant. God, Jesus spoke to him and he felt convicted and he repented. He instantly changed. People saw a change in him instantly. Even people who never go on to experience, you know, full new birth on baptism and the Holy Ghost, they can have a change, an immediate change through repentance, through sincere repentance. Have you got the music on there? I know this is kind of all over the place. Let's tell you a couple of stories. There's a man, he had been backslidden for 50 years. He grew up in an apostolic home. He walked away from his relationship with God when he was in his 20s. His parents had passed away, but the prayers they prayed for him never died. His younger brother had been a Bible school teacher, and he taught minor prophets among some other subjects. And all of his lessons on the minor prophets, which are about Israel backsliding, coming back over and over, all those lessons had been recorded on video and he was at his brother's house and he saw all these videos stacked up in the closet one day and he said, you know, can I borrow one to, to watch? I wanted to see it. A few days later, he brought the, the video back and he asked for another one and it wasn't long until he was making his way to the altar and pouring out 50 years of wasted time and repentance to the Lord. He died at the age of 91. But his last 12 years of life, he made every effort to make up for lost time by loving God, loving his word, loving his house, loving his people, and loving the lost. He never felt like he had done or could ever do enough for a merciful God who had taken him back into relationship after he squandered all those years. Repentance was the greatest gift he had ever been given because it opened up open back up the door of a relationship with God. And sometimes that's what that's where we are. You know, you can you know, I got the Holy Ghost when I was nine. When I grew up in church when I was a teenager, I had some rough years. Not, not 50. But there were some rough times. You know, I didn't want to live for God. I didn't care about the things of God didn't care about church, didn't care about anybody, you know. 
We've all probably gone through something like that. And if it wasn't for the gift of repentance, we wouldn't be here. The gift of repentance allows us to come back like the prodigal son. Another story, a pastor was having a Bible study with a young mother and with two children who had started coming to their church. And after the first few Bible studies in the home, the husband sat in the living room watching TV while they studied and prayed at the table. One afternoon when the pastor knocked on the door, the four-year-old son answered the door and he saw the pastor's eyes got big and ran back to the house and said, Mom, God's here. And he was right, he was wrong, but he was right at the same time. As the family desperately needed God, he was showing up every week at the door when they had their Bible study, God was coming in. The man of the house, he had been an alcoholic for 28 years. He wasn't ready to change and he really didn't want to listen to this preacher for an hour every week. We've all been there, right? He wasn't ready to change. His addiction was destroying his relationship with his wife and his children. They were terrified of his behavior when he was he was drunk and he was verbally abusing all of them without any sign of remorse. They had Bible study for a few weeks and then the pastor received a call from this man. He was at a, a detox center and he was reaching out for help. The pastor was glad for the call and told him he would come and visit him. And after prayer, the pastor felt led of God to wait and see how sincere his desire was to change. A lot of people want to change. Say they want to change, but don't actually want to. Two weeks later, he walked into a, a dark room where the broken man was sitting. And as he talked to him, the man hung onto every word. And he was ready to accept God's gift of repentance. The pastor taught him how to repent. He read him scriptures like 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, Godly soil produces repentance leading to salvation. And 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this big, strong man got down on his knees and he began pouring out his heart to God. And it didn't take long before his voice began to quiver and tears began to flow. And suddenly, he was face down on the floor, desperately reaching for the mercy of God. It wasn't a pretty scene. He rolled back and forth, crying out to God for help and forgiveness. He admitted his sin, his wrong treatment of his family, and his shame. After two hours of prayer, the pastor quietly slipped out of the room and let the man continue to pray. The man later told the pastor he had prayed most of the night. He said that when he was finished, he felt changed and determined to begin to allow God to work in his life. After a few days, he was proud to bring his family to church rather than watch them drive off without him. He made his way to his first altar call to publicly acknowledge his need for God. He was baptized for the remission of his sins that morning. A short time later, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. 
32 years later, he's still a changed man. His life changed, his marriage changed, his relationship with his children changed, and his eternity changed. All these powerful changes were made possible because of a merciful God who was not willing that this man should perish. He launched his spiritual journey by opening his gift of repentance. Let's all stand. Everything starts with repentance. It's the first step. It's the most important thing we can do. I have a friend that says that's what he preaches all the time. Because if you want people to get the Holy Ghost, you want people to be healed, you want God to move, it all starts with repentance. You can't have God fill your heart if you don't repent. You can't have God move in your life if you don't repent. You can't see Him minister if you don't repent. It's the most important thing. It changes everything. I know we've just been praying and fasting for 21 days. And God wants to move. But it all starts with repentance. It's not because I'm saying it, not because somebody's telling you to do it, but because God's moving on your heart. Because God wants to draw you to Him. It all starts with repentance. Amen. For some of us, you know, we've been coming to church. We look like we got it all together, but there's things that are in our hearts. There's anger, there's resentment, there's things we need to let go of. There's sins that we have, there's, and we all mess up, we all make mistakes. We all fall. We all need Jesus. Amen. We're gonna open the altar if you wanna come. Find a place to pray. Let God move through us. It may take a minute, it may take a couple hours, I don't know, whatever. Just find a place to pray and say, God, I'm sorry for all this stuff. God, I want you to remove this out of my life. God, I want you to touch. God, I want you to heal. God, I want you to take this stuff out. In Jesus' name, God, I pray. open if you want to come. In Jesus' name.